welcome to PR360, where every week the brightest minds in public relations, communications, and media discuss the topics and trends you need to know about. PR360 was produced in partnership with Global Results Communications. Now here's your host, Todd Perry. Hello, everybody. It's nice to meet you. My name is Todd Perry, the new host of PR360. And I know it can be a little jarring hearing a new host on a show that you've enjoyed for a while. But I promise that if you stick around, I'll do my best to bring you a show that's fun, informative, and has the most knowledgeable guests we can get. Over the past 20 years, I've worked in media and radio promotions, tech copywriting, direct response advertising, and for the past seven years, I've worked as a journalist. So let's just say I've written my share of press releases, and I've been pitched even more. I got started in podcasting back in 2008 as a hobby doing comedy shows with my friends, but then I got more serious and moved on to topics such as philosophy, historical documentaries, and currently I do a news commentary show called Upworthy Weekly with Allison Rosen. So I've started more than a few shows in my life, and of course, the first one out of the gate is always a little nerve-wracking. But the good news for me, and for you, is that for my first show, I have a wonderful guest that's going to make this a breeze. It's Laura Metzner, the Managing Director of Global Results Communications. Laura's been at GRC for nearly 14 years. Previously, she had executive-level positions at Springbok, Cone & Wolf, and Gollin Harris, where she worked with clients including Verizon Wireless, Ericsson, Coors Brewing, and Target. She's also worked at Ketchum PR, where she led programs for Nokia, Siemens Networks, and IBM. So, uh, Laura, did I miss anything? No, that hey, it's great to meet you, Todd. Thanks. See, that that's pretty much um, you know the background. I um, you know I grew up in Wisconsin, went to college there, and you know one of my majors was in English. The other was in communications with a public relations emphasis, and then I got a minor in writing. Um, and I didn't get into PR right after college. I worked in sales and did some other things, and then got into PR in the late '90s when I was living in Dallas. That was the the job at Springbok Conan Wolf, um, which was an agency that specialized in the tech industry. Okay. And this was, you know, during the dot com boom, which was a really exciting time to be in PR. I mean, companies were like flush with cash from venture capital companies and private equity firms and the stock market was off the hook. And so we really had uh, some wild and and crazy times. Um, and as you noted, yeah, over the last 25 years, I've, you know, been pretty much working exclusively on the agency side um, of PR. To back things up a little bit, during the dot-com boom, were there a lot of people that were just starting up companies and did they have a totally different approach to PR than maybe you know a more traditional company would have during that era? Or were you so new at that point that you didn't really know the difference? I was still really new at the time, so I didn't have a lot of historical context But what I would say about the startups, because, you know, back when I was at Springbok, we had some more established tech companies that were not startups. So, for instance, uh, Nortel Networks was right down the street from our office and Texas Instruments and some, you know, really large tech companies that were really established. And then, you know, we had, you know, a huge roster of startup companies startup companies. And I would say that because the tech market was so hot then, whether you were established or a startup, we operated pretty similar across those
those more established companies as we did across the you know the dot com startup companies. So it was very aggressive, you know, media work and analyst work. Um, it was really different then. You know, you think about twenty five years ago, which in in some ways really doesn't seem like that long ago. But like you know, we didn't have smartphones, mm-hmm. we didn't have internet at home. You know, so we were in the office really long days and long nights many times. I mean. Um, you know, we often joke, those of us who were doing PR back then, it's like the kids today don't know what pulling an all-nighter is all about. <laughs> they don't know where the last FedEx drop-off box is. We did. Oh. It was by DFW Airport, you know, at midnight. And, um, you know, the, we used fax machines. Right. And, you know, we still got, you know, we were still good and got a lot done. It just took a lot longer, you know, to do everything. And of course, the media landscape was different. You know, back then, there weren't any blogs, there was no social media. Um, So, you know, you were pretty much targeting, you know, the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times, USA Today, a bunch of trade publications, a bunch of the technology trades. And, you know, that was a time when not all publications even had their content online yet. So, you know, we had, you know, print publications coming into the office every day. We knew which ones were arriving every day. We had a huge publication library. The pubs, you know, people would race to the mailbox to get that day's issues of stuff. And you'd have like a post-it note on the top of it with a routing list and, you know, post-its all over with like client coverage, competitor coverage, stuff we were going to have to either present to the client as results or explain to a client, let's say we were missing in an article that we should have been in um, and we'd have to do some explaining. So things are obviously a lot different now. (laughs) We don't have as many print publications laying around and uh, is, is what we did back then. Was it easier to maintain relationships with journalists at that point because there were just less of them or things were less dispersed or... There were actually, you know, it would be interesting actually doing a comparison of, you know, the number of actual reporters. Um, It's probably fewer than there are today, but there were more reporters at the outlets than there are now. So a lot of those outlets are still around and the staff size is is much smaller than what it was at the time. Um, But back then... You know, reporters were more inclined in, in that generation to pick up their phones. So a lot of our a lot of our pitching was done on the phone and we could get yeah. reporters to pick up. Now, if you didn't grab their attention in the first, you know, 30, 45 seconds, they might hang up on you or tell you, hey, call me back. I'm an, I'm working on a deadline. Even if they weren't, they would do anything to get off the phone. But, you know, we had really good relationships. And I think a lot of that came also from the fact that we did so much reading, right? We were reading these publications every week and we knew exactly what the reporters were writing about. So we knew who to pitch and what to pitch. Um, And I think for a lot of PR practitioners, they've gotten a little bit um, lazy, I think. Um, Often when you get busy, maybe this isn't a lazy thing, but you get really busy and reading is oftentimes the last thing that you do. It's on your to-do list and you never get around to it. So I think sometimes PR people aren't as in tune on a day-to-day, week-to-week basis 
um, you know, with what the reporters are writing about. And obviously, if you're really in touch with what they're covering and how they're covering companies and what they're saying and what their opinions are about an industry or about different companies, it's easier to establish a relationship, right? Because you're intelligent, you're speaking intelligently, and you're not just a, you know, a PR flack, um, you know, the kind that get a bad reputation. Yeah. So now that we've kind of looked at where we were uh, back Mm -hmm. in uh, the late 90s, early 2000s. Um, It's the first episode of this podcast for 2023. So I'd love to get your take on uh, what what are going to be the big trends in PR and comms going on uh, this year. Yeah, well, I think the biggest thing is, and this is going to affect how, you know, PR practitioners kind of approach either their, their, their company or their clients, if you're on the agency side, I think this is going to be a year when most companies are going to be trying to do more with less, okay? okay. Whether it's less money, fewer people. I mean, we're, you know, we've definitely been, you know, hearing in the news, you know, about the different you know, layoffs, you know, throughout the tech sector, not only the tech sector for sure, um, but a lot of uh, companies within the tech sector from, you know, really large to small are, you know, doing workforce reductions. Um, you know, this could certainly impact marketing and public relations budgets. So when that happens, you know, in a down economy, and certainly, again, those of us who've been doing this for a while, you know, we went through this in like 2007, eight, we went through this after 911, mm-hmm. you know, and when the dot-com bubble burst. So this isn't the, our first rodeo. And when you're in a down economy, you know, delivering value in PR is is critical. It's always important to show value in PR, but in a down economy in particular, um, it, it's critical. So this is a year, you know, not only to deliver value, but to show the value. So we need to report on our activities. It doesn't just mean we're delivering it, but we've actually got to show it and showcase um, showcase it to the right people, right? So it's our activities, our results, the outcomes, and we're going to need to get creative. You know, and they say necessity is the mother of invention, and this will be the year to showcase that. You know, and being creative, you know, doesn't cost a thing. You just <laughs> need to put some collective minds to work. Um, sometimes you got to be creative about how you get things done within, you know, let's say a reduced budget. But, you know, the creativity process itself doesn't cost, you know, a thing. Uh, can, uh, real quick, can you give me a, a recent example of ways that uh, GRC has been creative in order to deliver for a client when they, they may not, you may not have all the resources or you really just have to think out of the box? Mm-hmm. Well, I think it, uh, you know, one of the, it goes back to what that the companies or the clients goals are right so you know when um whenever we develop a pr program it has to be designed to support the company's business goals so when we're looking at um let's say you know um you know budget reductions we've got to look at well what are those top goals to ensure that we're not doing let's say you know, sometimes you've got a huge budget, you can do everything, right? And yeah. you're not so focused. You can do a lot of things. You can do a lot of things well. Maybe you're going to do certain things better than others or spend more time on 
at A, B, and C than you are on D, E, and F. So when budget is an issue, you've got to look at what those top goals are and keep things focused on those, I would say, is the number one thing. Um, you know, obviously, we had to do a lot like when we navigated through COVID, you know, and, you know, f- you know fortunately, you know, we're, we're starting to see the other side of that now when events and trade shows are coming back. But when we couldn't do meetings in person, we couldn't go to events, you know, we had to look at other ways to do our storytelling, you know, so we were doing a lot more like online events, um, we were doing a lot more like original research and surveys and and content, like a lot more development of content mm-hmm. that we could push out, um, you know, to the press um, to help them. Again, a lot of the there were a lot of layoffs um, among the um, journalist community, you know, in 2020, and that continued even into 2021. So you've got you know, reporters also needing to cover more with fewer people. So the more that we can do their content for them, mm-hmm. we can still help to, you know, drive results and get, you know, media coverage, um, you know, get the media coverage, even when we don't do events. I mean, oftentimes when we go to a an industry event, we'll have, you know, 25, you know, 30 press interviews. And if you don't have that event, you got to make that up in some way, you know, and so that, that, that relies upon good content, good news to work with. Mm -hmm. And also uh, for the the clients you represent, uh, Mm -hmm. let's say that due to this economy, there's some, for some terrible reason, they have some sort of layoffs, right? And they want to, you know, Mm -hmm. protect their image at the same time. Um, What are the best ways to address that? Because I know if, you know, if McDonald's lays off a whole bunch, not that, franchise doesn't really mm-hmm. work that lot that logic doesn't really work but sure. a, a well-known company lays off a whole bunch of people obviously that's going to yes. get much more press than if they hire a whole bunch of people right so um it does. Mm-hmm. what's the best way to address that publicly or right and and certainly this is you know um you know pr professionals need a seat at the table with the executive suite when they're going through um, any reductions in force, because obviously we can really help to finesse, you know, those messages, Mm -hmm. um, whether it's the messages that go internally to the employees, um, you know, like oftentimes the CEO will send out, you know, an email, um, uh, you know, oftentimes HR is sending those messages out. There are communications that typically need to go to customers and partners because oftentimes their contact person will change. And then obviously you need to have, you know, various standby statements um, at the ready um, in case there's something that needs to be communicated externally if the Mm. word gets out, you know, whether it's on social media or within the press and analyst firms. What has been often said about reductions in force, not just in 2023, but this has been always true, is an element of empathy an emotion um, coming directly from the top, you know, from Mm -hmm. the CEO down and talking about the difficulty of the the decisions that had to be made, communicating um, why, um, you know, these decisions were made and having that human expression, like 
you know, speaking like a person and not just a company, right? An impersonal or a depersonalized kind of language. Um, And, you know, ensuring that you're thanking and, and, uh, and acknowledging, you know, the contributions of the people, um, what you are doing to help support them. And, you know, those things tend to have a better response than some of these, you know, corporate style depersonalized communications. Sometimes those things make it out of the public. If people were to Google right now, um, CEO layoff email, the people will find, I'm not going to name any company names, but people will find several of these emails, you know, the good and the bad ones um, as well, because right. the press has covered some of these over the last few months. And, and oftentimes it's, you know, these are leaked to the press or other online communities, Reddit, Glassdoor, wherever, by, you know, the, you know, individuals who were, who were laid off and, you know, didn't appreciate those communications. And then some of those good uh, or better written letters, um, you know, have actually had some compliments from people who were laid off who said, well, at least, you know, this was a nice message, you mm-hmm. know, like at least this was, I, I, you know, I'm disappointed, but, you know, thank you for speaking to me like a human and showing, you know, some, some regret and some empathy. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the biggest challenges, it seems to me in these situations, mm-hmm. not to be, get completely glum here, but one right. of the big, one of the biggest challenges to me seems to be maintaining consistency of messaging when you're going from the CEO all the way out to how the press deals with it and online and the whole thing. That seems to be yes. a monumental challenge. It, it, it is. And this is, again, why, you know, you want to have, you know, your PR team involved to ensure um, kind of consistency across all of the different stakeholder communications pieces, because if you make a change in one place, there's a ripple effect. So if you have, let's say, a different person writing for the CEO's communication, a different person writing for the HR, different one writing for the customer's partners, you can imagine that there would be a lack of, could easily be a lack of consistency. So you want kind of one team overseeing all. Um, And the other thing is you got to get your facts right. Okay. Mm -hmm. So you know, oftentimes it's, you know, when you're doing reductions in force, it's, um, you know, a percentage of employees or numbers of employees. You want to make sure that you're getting you're getting the right facts and that, again, if there's multiple different places that this information is getting communicated, that you've got the correct information in all of the various, you know, in all the various pieces. Yeah. I guess in the... in in what can be perceived as down times, how important is it for companies to stick with their their core messages and positioning? I would say that, you know, core, like, you know, core messaging and core positioning has always been critically important. Um, You know, I would say doing PR without a solid set of messages and positioning would be like, I don't know, like entering the Indy 500 without a car, right? right. I mean, how, right. how can you win the race if you don't have a car? I mean, you could do laps, right? But, um, you know, because, it, I mean, in PR, you can get 
press and analyst coverage all day, every day. But if it doesn't communicate the right messages, then like what's what's the value, right? Yeah. So and it's really incumbent on PR teams to help drive that messaging and positioning. You know, we can't or we shouldn't just rely on our clients to give us their messages and positioning. I mean, yes, we should have them provide their versions, but PR should be refining those messages and the positioning to make sure that we're not using something that was developed in a vacuum where <laughs> where it doesn't really resonate with the audiences or the stakeholders. Yeah. And again, we're 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 experts or we're relied upon to be experts and to understand kind of the market sentiment, you know, kind of the audience sentiment, the media sentiment, the analyst sentiment. And so those messages have to be um, you know, developed in that context. And plus, when it comes to PR, most of the writing that we do and the work that we do is persuasive, right? We're trying to persuade audiences or stakeholders to think something and or to do something, right? And in order to do that, we need to give them a reason why. Okay. So that's why, you know, if you get Oftentimes, you know, clients will give us messaging and positioning, but again, it's done in a vacuum and it's very, you know, me, 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 all about the company versus something that's positioned more for, let's say, a target buyer or more than something that's persuasive. It reads like they, a lot of this times these things read like advertisements versus, you know, uh, read like ads um, versus something that's really persuasive. And and you need different messages for different stakeholders. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. It's like uh, one of the greatest uh, meetings I ever had was uh, for years. I was a direct response copywriter, and and a guy named Dan O'Day that I went to one of his seminars, and he said the greatest thing ever. And I've had this like written on my wall uh, for a very long time, and it says, uh, "Don't tell me about your grass seed. Tell me about my lawn." I exactly. I love that. I love that phrase. I'm going to have to uh, mind if I borrow that one. Well, I guess I would (laughs) ask him. Yeah, (laughs) but exactly. Mm -hmm. You know, it's one thing, obviously, because you're positioning something towards the audience, but it's also the idea that um, it actually it it helps the writer kind of get out of a rut when talking Mm -hmm. when talking about something as well. Because you're like, okay, wait a minute. Okay, let me. Let me switch the perspective here. Okay, now I see something. Now I'm getting a, a visual or some ideas about how to how to position this to the audience. Also, uh, obviously, the company's message is going to change a bit during a downtime. But then, how does the audience's perception change? I know this is kind of vague. Mm-hmm. How is the audience thinking differently when when they're hearing a message? Well, it depends. It depends on. Um, Again, it's going to be a little bit different for, let's say, consumer-focused content and products and services than it is for, um, like, business-to-business. But either way, even if if your company or your client's company is is selling something to another business or another enterprise and, you know, you're in a down economy and budget is still an issue, um, you know, it's... you still have, there still needs to potentially be a revision to the messaging. And uh, and one of the first things you do is look at whether 
the product or service is actually a down economy play. Like, let's say you're a low cost leader in something. Well, then that's actually something that can be leveraged. If you're the most expensive, then obviously that's different. But then maybe what you're focused on is longevity, right? So it might cost more, but is it more reliable? Is it more accurate? Does it last longer? Mm-hmm. Um, and 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 all of those things ultimately then will save you money over time, right? So you've got to look at that kind of what is that economic message, or is it an investment that is going to help you grow your business in some way? Because now you will be able to do A, B, and C. So that's how we approach the messaging. It's not to say you shouldn't be doing those things anyway. It's just that obviously in a down economy, you've got to be a bit more precise on the on the value propositions mm-hmm. and the customer, you know, um, benefits um, and, and the ROI, you yeah. know, of certain investments. So that's that's where we would would focus that. Either it's a either we've got a strong value play or we need to um, you know, address why this investment is still going to benefit, you know, that, that company. And we've got to explain that to media and analysts oftentimes on these interviews too. It's like, oh, that would be a nice to have, but you know, in a down economy, like why would companies, you know, this, this isn't a need to have, right? right. So this is a luxury. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, just, just to, to, to pivot a little bit, um, mm-hmm. how do you see social media changing in 2023? Yeah, I think um, there too, you know, it's always a great tool to amplify your messages. It's a good way to get connected to and engage, you know, with the right audiences or the right people, you know, whether it's customers, partners, it could be influencers there to media analysts, investors, um, employees, uh, you know, potential employees for recruiting, mm-hmm. but it's also a really good tool for crisis and issues management. Got it. Um, in fact, you know, sometimes it's through social media that you find out that you've got a problem, oh. or it's on yeah, social media right. where people, employees who were laid off um, are are posting things. So social listening is really really important. Sorry, when it comes to social listening. It's very interesting to me about the volume of messaging mm-hmm. that somebody might be getting, say, on Twitter about an issue. And how yes. does a company look at that and gauge whether those 10 people, you're going to make a move because of that or whether that's just background noise? You know, I, I have kind of have this theory where, like, you know, if, if you made 100 fake Twitter profiles and went after any company about anything, you could probably get them to change something just because there's a a skittishness that people have about that kind of reaction. Sure. You know, and we'll see things, you know, sometimes, you know, for for clients on like Glassdoor, Reddit, things like that. And we will, um, you know, we, we, there are certain things that perhaps we're not going to respond to. Um, and if we don't respond, it's it's typically because, or, or we're gonna we're gonna try to direct message with them versus respond in a public forum. You know, it just depends on the sensitivity of the information and the contents of the messaging. Um, but sometimes we will post, you know, directly, and um, you know, it'll be based on, you know, the um, 
you can remove some of these things, not all of them. You can't remove, you know, the, you know, some of the, some of these things, um, you know, at least not on like Red, Reddit or, or, or Glassdoor. You can certainly remove from, you know, your LinkedIn or from your Twitter, but we won't even always remove negative feedback. We'll instead respond to it, mm-hmm. um, you know, with let's say, you know, sometimes it's misinformation and we'll correct that information or and then offer to go direct message, you know, to, you know, resolve or, um, you know, if it's just, um, you know, a difference of opinion, you know, things like that, that we will, you know, oftentimes respond to. And uh, versus deleting, because that can cause like retaliation and they can find other channels where you can't erase yeah. or delete from. Right. So you don't want to start, you know, those kinds of wars either. And that's one of the key benefits of social media is it is a two way conversation. So if you're a company that only wants to broadcast well, social media is really not. I mean, some companies, that is what they do, but. Um, you know, there's not a lot of transparency that in that. And a lot of people don't trust that. If all you're seeing are the positives and none of the negatives, you know, that's, that's, that's we don't consider that at GRC to be a best practice at yeah. all. We're coming up, uh, it's about the end of this here, uh, mm-hmm. Laura. But, um, you know, in the beginning, we talked a lot about, you know, potential, you know, down economy coming and how do we react mm-hmm. to that? Uh, I'd like to end this show on a positive note and say, yeah, what are you most excited about in 2023 in terms of the PR world? Yeah, I mean, we we are we are excited about this year. We have, um, you know, no fear over here at, at GRC. Um, and I would say that we're excited about getting, you know, getting back to the basics, you mm-hmm. know, messaging, message refinement, more compelling writing, getting back to conferences and events, and, you know, really good media strategy and good media relations. And, you know, we just, um, you know, the last two years, we've conducted an annual survey of yeah. reporters, like about a thousand reporters in 2021 and in 2022. Um, it's our annual PR media report, uh, which we call um, Shifting Attitudes Towards Public Relations and the Challenges of an Industry in Transition. And, you know, we we polled you know broadcast reporters digital print bloggers you know across you know globally you know across um, you know a lot of different industries you know tech but also consumer entertainment business automotive healthcare and so on and both both in 2021 and 2022 you know journalists said that their biggest challenge is the battle for reader attention Mm-hmm. And the other one is, for them is having to produce more content with fewer people and resources. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> the, the majority of reporters said, like 78% said uh, that they rely on information from PR professionals, but the majority also said that the information they receive is only somewhat helpful. Mm-hmm. And 11% of them said that the info they receive is not helpful at all. So that's a problem. And then the other issue is that 66% of them said that they receive inaccurate information from PR. Uh, um, they also, you know, the content that they most use and want are press releases, but they often pass on them because the content either doesn't align with what they cover or it's too promotional. 
So, you know, and, uh, you know, they said that they're the top two things from PR that need to be improved are respecting and understanding what the journalist wants or needs. And then this is a scary um, kind of a scary thing. 25% of them said that the number one thing that needs improvement is responsiveness. Mm. Again, that's unacceptable. But the good news is that all of these things are fixable. We can, you know, write better press releases. We can get our facts right. We can do our research and make sure that we understand the focus of a specific outlet and a specific reporter so that we can target better. And it's in our control to be responsive, get back to the reporter, you know, in a timely fashion. And, you know, the way that, you know, our leadership team here at GRC has been talking is like, these are the basics of PR. I mean, yeah. Writing a big, a good press release, knowing what the reporter writes about, knowing what their outlet covers and being responsive and timely is all just the basic fundamentals and the stuff we were, we were doing 25 years ago. Okay. And we've got more tools now, you know, than we did then. You know, we can actually, you know, work from go home and like, uh, you know, connect to our Internet there and, and be responsive from there versus having to be in the office until you know, 10 or 11 at night, like, like, like we used to. <laughs> yeah. So, well, well, I hope that, oh, let's say, so I, I hope that these insights that you guys have come up with will go, uh, go on uh, to benefit the industry as a whole. Yeah. You know? Yes. And we hope people will download the report. It's on our website at globalresultspr.com and it's free, um, you know, to download it. It's, um, there's there's a lot of good you know good info in in, in that report um, for PR practitioners whether you're in house you work at an agency we're going to do you know another survey um, this year um, this summer so we'll have you know looking forward to doing our 2023 report we're going to do some more um, in addition to just some survey questions we're going to do some more um, like bes- have bespoke conversations with journalists to have a bit more. Um, uh, you know, content, not just survey results, but actually some, some additional direct insights from, from reporters. That's great. Uh, one thing, this, this may seem a little cynical, but I will say this. As, some, as someone <laughs> okay. who, who does a bit of uh, writing myself for uh, some popular mm-hmm. online publications, here's one thing that journalists always loves. Huge fat quotes. Like, give me some. I want a hundred and forty-five word quote from somebody because you know what? Sometimes I only have so many. You know, I have an hour to write five hundred words. You give me a hundred and forty-five, and we'll keep an ongoing conversation for years to come. You know? I know. <laughs> yeah, qu- you know, quote writing is uh, in, in these press releases. Oh my gosh! I mean, some of the quotes are just. They're horrible. And that's one place, again, you know, if, if we can do better, right? I mean, having a CEO, one of my pet peeves is we're very excited to announce. I'm like, of course, it's just stating the obvious. If we weren't excited, yeah. we wouldn't be doing the press release. <laughs> Say something of more value. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's, you know, that, that was another one of those things where like in direct response writing, like never start an ad, yeah. you know, never start a radio ad with that, blah, blah, blah. We're happy to announce because you know what? Your audience isn't happy for you. They don't care. <laughs> no. Nobody cares. I, that's number one. Number one rule in communications. First of all, nobody cares. Mm-hmm. H- how do we make them care? You know. Right. Right. <laughs> Laura, I'd like to thank you so much for this time, and hopefully yeah, we can you. 
chat again soon. It's been a great time. And uh, thank you all in the audience out there for listening to my first episode of PR360. And uh, we hope you come back next week to check out the next show. Love it. Thanks so much, Todd. Great to talk to you. Thank you. PR360 was produced by Todd Perry in partnership with Global Results Communications. Follow them on all socials at Global Results. Follow Todd on Twitter at Todd A. Perry. That's Todd with one D. If you enjoy the show, don't forget to leave a review wherever you get podcasts. Talk to you next week.